kind of hop around the Bible tonight, but I want, I want you to be able to see it. So how about you go to Romans 12 and just kind of sit there for a little bit. Um, as the songs have been pointing toward, and as I said in the very the first few moments, this is the second Sunday of Lent. This is the, the season of the church calendar where we, um, we orient our entire being toward Easter, toward um, Good Friday, toward the the death, you know, the crucifixion of our Savior and the resurrection from the dead. And so um, that's something that we want to sneak up on. And so we uh, take our time, we join in with the church uh, around the world in spending 40 days of fasting and praying toward that to prepare for the Resurrection Sunday at the end of March. And so um, that's kind of where we are, and it's sort of different, uh, different, it's, Celebrated differently within different denominations, different traditions, even within the churches, you know. And so we've, the last couple of years, have just been kind of learning to do this, um, feeling like there's a significance to the fact that believers all around the world are spending these six weeks moving toward Easter together. Um, and so our, our songs and our sermons and our community group material and all those kind of things are all kind of like building toward that deal. Um, Lent has a, a very interesting history. I would encourage you to maybe, uh, if you want to know more about it, it kind of fell at a, at a strange time this year with the Super Bowl and everything uh, kind of falling in together. And there's some podcasts that are back, you know, a year around this time, the last two or three years, where I kind of talk about it a little more. Um, but it's a very, uh, it's a very uh, deep and reflective time of the year for us as believers. And so the next couple of weeks, all the, the sermons are, are going to be kind of pointing us toward the cross and uh, in a way that I'm, I'm going to just kind of take like different perspectives on it a little bit, like maybe different ways to think about the cross. And when I say, when I use the words the cross, it's more of a, it's like an iceberg kind of term. You know, when I say that, that's what's above the surface is the cross. But beneath that, we need to be thinking about, like kind of summed up in that, is the, the life and the, the, the betrayal, the arrest, the, the torture, Jesus carrying the crossbar to, the, to Golgotha, the crucifixion, the, uh, the agony of his death, including you know, not just physical stuff, but sin placed upon him, the separation from the Father, um, becoming a, like in experiencing sin for the very first time as the Holy One, uh, His death, His burial, the three days in the tomb, and then the resurrection on that Sunday. Uh, we need to kind of think of all those things in one deal. So instead of having to say all that every single time, I'm just going to say the cross, all right? And you just automatically like think of all those things kind of summed up in there. And if you need an even more like simplified version, like right at the surface of the iceberg deal, the cross, and then just think the death, burial, resurrection of Jesus, kind of all wrapped up in one thing. And so I'm going to just talk about different ways for us to, to think about the cross, to see it, to learn from it, because Jesus accomplished so much there. Um, and it's a lot of times at Easter time, it's like, you know, Jesus died on the cross for your sins, and God raised him from the dead, and that's absolutely true. 
but there's so much to it that you really, you really, it takes a lot of, uh, a lot more time to get there to really understand it. And so tonight I want to, I want us to, to just kind of think and kind of build the night around this idea that the cross was an, was an act of worship. Um, the cross was an act of worship. And so each Sunday leading up to Easter, it'll be a different, the cross as this, the cross as this, the cross as this. But tonight it'll be the cross as an act of worship. And so I want to kind of build it around three, three questions I'll try and answer for us. The first one is, okay, so what, what is worship? If the cross is an act of worship, then what is that? Because that term you know, can kind of, kind of be really broad and, and it kind of means different things uh, to different people. So what is worship? Second one, why is the cross worship? Why is the cross an act of worship? And then the third one, so how does this shape our, our personal worship? Okay. So the first one, um, what is worship anyway? Uh, if I grew up in a Christian tradition that, that like to me, worship was like, uh, that's what you, it's like what you went to on Sunday mornings. Um, that was like the, the common phrase is like, oh, we don't want to be late for worship. You know, we're going to go, we're going to go to worship. We're going to go to church. We're going to go to whatever. And so worship was kind of like the worship time, like the whole service that I grew up in. And the church I, I went to uh, for, most, for most of my life was a pretty typical Southern Baptist church. And so we, um, you know, you kind of, you came in and there was the, the organist was playing like the prelude music, right? So now we have like Spotify lists or whatever and kind of playing in the background. But back then it was like the organist who was playing something. And um, there was like the good organist and there was like the, the backup organist, you know. And but the good organist was playing. And it was always like real subtle, you know. But it was just it was just there, and it was setting the tone, you know. So you came in, everybody's kind of you know buzzing around, and then um, when then the choir started filing in. When the choir was filing, you're like, oh, it's about to start, you know, it's about to start. And uh, and so the choir files in, and then like at our church, the deacons they were the they were the last thing to come in. So, so when it was really time to start, the deacons would come in, and there would be like a dozen of them that would parade across the front, and they would all sit on the front row. So you couldn't sit on the front row. Sorry. Uh, sorry. So uh, it was a front row deal, and so when the deacons came in, that was like the official, it was like ringing the like, triangle for dinner time or something like that. That's when it was like time to start. The deacons came in, and they sat down, and there was the call to worship was like the first song. You know, and so everyone would stand, like, there'd be this big, loud call to worship thing. And I don't, when I say all this, I'm not making fun of any of it. I'm just saying, like, this is, like, what I grew up thinking worship was, was all about. So there's the prelude, the choir comes in, the deacons come in, there's the call to worship. The, one of the pastors comes up and kind of does a, either some announcements or, like, a prayer time or something like that. There's some congregational, like, oh, there's a welcome time. And we would sing, we sang the same welcome song every Sunday. Did y'all do that, you Baptist kids? No, just us. Okay, so we would sing. We sang the family of God every Sunday as our welcome song, and it was like a go walk around, find the new people. And for a while, it was like if you're our guest, we want you to stay seated, so we can like identify you and come speak to you, which is really really great. Unless you were a guest, in which you were like, I'm standing up no matter what, you know. <laughs> and so we would sing. We would sing the family of God, and we would shake hands. And if you've ever been on one of our Mexico trips, they have their welcome song too. They would do the same thing. And so we would welcome one another, and then there would be some congregational songs. And then there would be uh, the offertory prayer. So one of the deacons would come and pray for the offering. The deacons would pair off and cover the auditorium, passing the plates. And during that, the organist or the pianist, or sometimes them together, would do some sort of hymn or something like that. You know? 
And then, then there was the special music time. So it could be the choir, it could be a soloist, or a, sometimes you got a treat full quartet, you know, that was up there. And they would kind of do their thing. And then it was the preacher's time. And he would, uh, my preacher growing up, just brought, brought it down, right? So that's really like, everything felt like it was like getting ready for that, for like, for Dr. Carol Marr to stand up and like bring it. He was at the reunion a few weeks ago and uh, and so he, uh, he would preach, you know, and it would just be amazing. And then there would be an, an altar call time. And you could either come down, come down to the front either to um, say that you want to be a follower of Jesus or to join the church or something like that. And so there would be a time we would stand and we would sing and that would happen. And then if someone came down, he would present them to everyone. And, and then uh, afterwards, whoever came down to make a decision, we would like circle. Like, the whole church would like line up and come speak to them on the way out, you know, and that was, that was it, and then you went to lunch at grandma's, like, that's what I grew up doing, you know, forever, and so to me, that was, not because I was taught that that's what worship was, just by participating in the life of the community, that was, to me, worship, start to front, that's what it was about, and then, then I got a little older, and it sort of, it changed to where the terminology was that worship was like the musical part of all that, so when you were standing to sing the congregational song or the, you know, that kind of stuff, when you were participating, it was worship, and everything else was in another category, you know. And so you had the worship leader, and all that worship leader would do would lead the songs. And so I think maybe I connected those dots on my own, but the, that's what everybody kind of said. And if, you know, when I got into college and we were doing, like, TNT and uh, those kind of, like, co- college worship service deals, and it would be like, okay, we'll do a worship set, and then this preacher then will do another worship set. You know, or something like that. So that word really, it became, it got to where it just meant the music part, the singing part. That you, when you're standing and singing, that's what happens. Um, And that's what worship is. And um, I have, uh, on my dad's side, my mom's side, like his parents, her parents, uh, one was like Southern Baptist upbringing. The other was was on the charismatic side of things. And so when I would go to church with them, it was still the same kind of thing. The worship was the music, but it was real like, Get those hands up, you know. And so even a part of me was like, the higher the hands, you know, the more worship is happening. Or the more hands, the quantity of hands, you know, was like, oh, man. It was really, like, worshipful today because there's, like, 92% hand raised, you know, kind of moments and, and that kind of stuff. And so it, it just kind of got all jumbled up in, inside of my mind. And, um, and so as, as someone who had the opportunity to lead worship in college and then at, at Parkview and we started the ring and everything, it got to where, you know, you start to, you see the Bible, you see the church experience, and sometimes they sync up so beautifully, and sometimes they just don't. And, um, and I remember the first time that we went to the Passion Conferences, they, they were very, uh, it was very different back then than the Passion Conferences are now. And back then, um, one of the themes that they would emphasize is this idea of, of worship, and it, it really helped me so much kind of understand what the Bible is talking about in terms of worship, and not letting, like, church culture define it, letting scripture define it, and trying to, like, let's try to put those on this, let's try to put our church experience on the same page as the Bible, you know, and not have them two, be two different things. And so, maybe you're kind of like me, maybe growing up around, uh, just in America, or maybe in the South, and maybe you were a part of a church, maybe you weren't, but maybe this idea of worship has become so watered down that it's easy to kind of assume that we all are on the same page about it, but maybe we're not. And so maybe even when I say the cross is an act of worship, 
Maybe that's strange because Jesus wasn't really singing, you know, when he was up there. Like, it wasn't a worship service. It was terrible, you know. How can something terrible be an act of worship? Uh, so, so in terms of, like, what, what is worship anyway? Sort of that, that first question. Uh, I did a little homework, um, which, you know, should encourage you. Um, in, the, in the Bible, and I'm not going to give you, like, the Hebrew word and the Greek word and that kind of stuff, but let me just sort of give you some generalities. In the, in the Old Testament, whenever you see the word worship specifically, it, it's always, it, it brings with it this, this idea of bowing down. That you're, that you're, like, you're like bowing down to someone in the presence of someone. It has a, this adjustment of your posture kind of vibe to it. Um, to bow oneself down, to sink down, to prostrate oneself before anyone out of honor. Those who used this mode of salutation fell on their knees and touched the ground with the forehead. Okay? That that's worship. It's, it's the, the king walks in the room and you drop down to your knees and you put your face on the ground because you're showing honor to the king. You're humbling yourself in his presence. It's this, this response of like bowing, bowing down out of honor. In the New Testament, it's very similar. Um, it's used to designate the custom of prostrating oneself before a person and kissing his feet, the hem of his garment, or the ground. The Persians did this in the presence of their deified king, and the Greeks before a divinity, to fall down and worship, prostrate oneself before, show reverence to, or welcome respectfully. Again, the king walks in, and some of it is you drop where you are, and some of it is you're trying to get to his feet, because you want to, to kiss his feet. You want to touch the, the hem of his garment. And we see this with Jesus. We see Jesus, you know, he's, he, when he's eating, eating at the home of the Pharisees and there's the, the quote-unquote sinful woman that comes in. And what's she doing? She's washing his feet. And, and, and she's crying and her tears are on his feet and she's drying, drying her own tears off of his feet. Like that's, that's worship in a New Testament sense. You see people trying to get to Jesus just to touch the hem of his garment. And that's, that's worship. So we, we see this idea that it's, it's bowing down. It's out of honor and out of respect. And then the English word for worship, uh, it comes from this old English word that I can't pronounce. <laughs> but, uh, but it means worth-ship. That worship is just a sh- it's shortened. It's taking some, taking some letters out. And so when we hear the word worship, we should think of the concept of worth attached to it. It should be automatically there. We shouldn't think singing. We shouldn't think a gathering of the saints uh, necessarily. We should think about worth. That is showing God that he is worthy. And so anything that expresses worth and value, that is worship. And so we can worship a lot. Of, we can worship things. We can worship people. We can worship a lot of stuff. Um, but it's, it's more than just some sort of expression. It's a, it's a deep kind of response. It's not a reaction, it's a response to who he is. So there's a, and there's a difference, you know. We, we, react, in, we react differently than, than we respond. Um, when, uh, so some of you don't remember this, but at one point in time, LSU was terrible at football. Like when I was in college, we were not very good at football. Like it was, we went to the Independence Bowl one year. We thought we were hot cotton, man. Like it was like the, the biggest deal that we were going to the Poulon Weed Eater Bowl in Shreveport, Louisiana. 
and uh, it was a huge deal. And so a couple years later, whenever it all worked, like LSU was getting really good, and you know they or they hired this guy named Nick Saban. Everyone was like, ah, another no name, you know. Yeah, we regret that now. And so, um, so they hired Saban, and things got better. And next thing you know, they're playing for the national championship. You know, and it was just so surreal to us. And so I remember watching the national championship game, and it became clear that we were going to win it, and that was awesome, you know. And so, you know, it gets down to the end of the game, and the clock ticks down, and we're all kind of watching it, watching it, watching it, and it hits zero, and we're like, hey, we won the game, and we're, we're hugging each other and stuff like that. And this friend of mine was there with us watching the game. His name is Chico. Some of you may maybe met him at the reunion. Chico, uh, Chico was not hugging people and high-fiving. He was crying. Like, he was, like, crying, hugging, like, suffocating you, hugging, like, everyone. He was just, like, weeping so he was so full of joy. We were reacting to the fact that we won. Chico was responding. Because as a lifelong, like, like Baton Rouge boy, grew up here, who thought a national championship would never happen, it, was, it meant something like, profound to him. To us, it was like, we won the game, we get to, all right, we have bragging rights and t-shirt and whatever. And to him, it was, it was bigger, it was deeper. You know? He was responding to the win. We were just reacting to the win. When, when a baby is born, the nurses are like, hey, look, it's a boy, it's a girl, they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And the parents, they are, they're like, they're responding. The nurses are just reacting. Hey, congratulations. The parents are the ones, they're, they're crying, they're excited. They're, so, they're the ones that are moved so deeply. And so worship, uh, in terms of like, like giving, expressing to God like who he is, whatever, we're not reacting to it like we do a football game or like we do, hey, you heard this good news or whatever. It's a response that comes from a deep place of realizing exactly who he is. Louis Giglio kind of was very helpful to me, at least. Uh, This is his definition, if you want to write this down. He says that worship is our response to who God is and what he has done. It's not a reaction, it's a response. It's not a... um, Yeah, it's not shallow, it's not surfacey. It's deep and it's personal. I've never been to the Grand Canyon, but everyone I know who's ever been, they always say, like, yeah, you know, you see pictures, and you're like, wow, you know. But when you, when you get there and you walk down and you get to one of those overlooks, like, you, you're just stunned. That's, that's more of what we're talking about. So there's times when you're, you're reading the Bible, you're in a worship service, and you're singing these songs, and there is something, you're not surface level reacting, you are responding deeply to this picture in front of you of the grace of Jesus and who he is. And so it makes, you, it makes you want to sing, sometimes it makes you want to just be quiet, sometimes it makes you want to listen, sometimes it makes you want to cry, sometimes it makes you want to pray. So anything that we're talking about in terms of uh, expressing worth and value to God, that's what we're talking about in terms of worship. And it varies, you know, based on the object of worship. And so with God, we're saying, okay, this, this is what you are worth to me. This, this is what you are worth to me. Fill in the blank, you know. And so if worship were just singing, and that's all we had to bring to him, we're to say, the only, the only way I can really respond to who God is and what he has done is just to sing, then that would be sufficient. But there's so much more to that, you know. That's not limited to this one action. It's not this one expression. 
we, here's just a, a list that you don't need to try and write down because I'm just going to say it too fast. But we sing, we pray, we obey, we sacrifice, we steward, we ask, seek, knock. Sometimes we marry, sometimes we break up. Um, we tithe, we change our major, we go on summer missions, we, we go to church and community group, we serve, we encourage, we correct, we admonish, we love, we witness, we confess, we show up with people, we sit silently, we shout, we praise, we Sabbath, we work, we disciple, we parent, we study, we rest. All the one another's of scripture, all of these are acts that express God's worth to him. And so worship is this super broad way where, we're, where we're, we come before God and we say, God, this is how much you're worth to me. You're worth so much that I'm, I'm going to sing with all these people. Or I'm going to sing by myself in the car. Say, God, you are, you are worth this to me, that I'm going to get up early and get into the Word. I'm going to begin my day aligning myself with you. God, you are worth this to me, and I'm going to... I'm gonna, um, I'm going to share my faith with this person that I work with. God, you are worth this to me. I'm going to, I'm going to have this difficult conversation because you are worthy. Because you are worthy. Because you are worthy. That all, those, all these things are acts of worship, all of them. Any way that in your life we're able to say, God, look how much you're worth to me. I'm going to do what you say to do. <laughs> I'm going to trust you with this. I'm going, to, I'm going to take this step. I'm going to, whatever it is. And so worship is not obviously just singing, and it's not limited to our time together. It is this entire life where we're just constantly showing God what He's worth to us. Just all the time, all the time, all the time. And in times when we come together and it's like, hey, we're going to sing now. Then the reason why we want to like go for that together is because this is this corporate expression where we're like, hey, God, listen to us tell you what we think about you and how much you're worth to us. And if you are like, you're like, hey, I don't really like to sing that much, then, okay, maybe you like to listen. Maybe you like to pray. Maybe you just like to be around people who are like-minded with you but these expressions, whether they're corporate or whether they're personal, all of these things are acts of worship. And so we cannot limit it to just singing or just a worship service. We have to understand that anything that expresses to God His worth and His value to us, that that is worship. Our response to God for who He is and what He has done. So, uh, with that in mind, the second question, why is the cross worship? Well, let me run through some verses. John 14, 30, and 31 um, kind, of, uh, kind of says, says a lot about um, Jesus' perspective on some things. Um, and that's why like, I think that him being able to explain worship, why it's worship to us in his own words is pretty profound. So look at John 14, or not look at it, but look, at, look on the screen. Um, says, I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Look at the, verse 31. I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. 
that Jesus is saying, okay, the things I'm here to do, I want the whole world to know how much I love God, so I'm going to do what he's asked me to do. That his obedience to the Father is this expression of love so that everyone knows exactly how he feels about him. So for us, uh, you know, it's this, the same kind of thing. So when Jesus says, I'm going to go to the cross, I'm going I'm to lay my life down, he says, I'm doing that because I want everyone to know how I feel about God. That's why the cross is an act of worship. In John 10, verse 18, uh, Jesus is speaking again, and he's um, explaining about what's, what's about to happen. He says, no one takes it from me. He's talking about his, his life. No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. Jesus says, I, no one's coming to take my life. You can blame it on whoever you want. You can blame it on Judas. You can blame it on um, the Pharisees or the Sadducees or whoever that you want to. The uh, corrupt justice system. You can blame it on all kinds of whoever's you want. But Jesus is like, look, no one's taking my life. I'm, I'm laying my life down. I'm choosing to do this. As an act of worship. To show the Father. To show the world how valuable the Father is to him. And so his sacrifice um, is an act of worship. Matthew 26, verse 39, Jesus is in Gethsemane, and he's praying, and um, he's struggling a lot with, because it's time for the, for the crucifixion to happen, for his betrayal. Um, verse 39 says, And going a little farther, he fell on his face and prayed, saying, My Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Then in his own submission, it's this act of worship. He's saying, God, you're, you're worth, you are worth more to me than my own desires and my own uh, preferences. He's saying, I would love to not be crucified. That would be awesome. But it's about your will, not my will. And in his submission to the Father, he is worshiping by sacrificing himself and laying down his own desires and denying himself like he's called us to do. Uh, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, uh, talks about the joy set before him. Um, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and seated at the right hand of the throne of God. What's the joy set before him? The glory of the Father. Like he was like, it's, it's worth it for me to, to sacrifice my life because God will be glorified in it. Is this expression of worth to the Father and to the world. Philippians 2 verse 8 um, in the, the Christ hymn, says, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. That his obedience to the Father was this act of worship that cost him his life, but Jesus determined that it was worth it because the Father is worthy. And so why is the cross worship? Why is this... This uh, event that happened, and we sing about it every week, and we're celebrating it uniquely during this time of year, and in its like apex at Easter time. Why is this this act of worship? 
Because it was his response to the worthiness of the Father. It's the definitive act of worship for now and eternity. Greater than any song, greater than any worship service, greater than than anything that has ever happened or will happen, nothing was a greater act of worship than Jesus laying down his life sacrificially for the glory of the Father through the redemption of you and me. Nothing. And so our thinking of worship has got to, to we have to understand that, that Jesus, as he's on the cross and, and he's bleeding and has just been ripped apart and the sin is on, everything that's on him, and he's really essentially looking at the Father and saying, look what you're worth to me. Look how much, look how, how valuable you are. Look how much I love you. Look, look, I'm here, look, I'm, look, I'm showing you. One of the options tonight in a few minutes will be to, to would be to come and to take communion. And when, we, when you do that, Jesus has, you know, he's handed down this meal to us as the church and said, you know, you keep taking this meal. And every time you do it, you do it in remembrance of, of me and who I am and what I've done. And, and as we are holding the, the bread and, the, and you know, you, you're going to rip the bread off and you're going to dip it in the, in the juice there. And they're going to say the body of Christ broken for you, the blood of Christ poured out for you. And in those elements, there's supposed to be a degree of us holding, holding these things and saying, Look what Jesus is showing the Father and saying, this, like, this is how much you're worth to me. You're worth the body and the blood. You're worth, you're worth the weight of sin. You're worth the, the separation from the Father. You're, you're worth the pain and the agony and the, and the emotional torture. You're worth everything that's there in order to redeem humanity, in order that the Father may be worshipped and glorified, and that everyone might see his grace and his love. You are worth it. And when we sing the songs and we read the story and we celebrate and we like worship together, we're supposed to be worshiping in the same thread, in the same line of thinking as Jesus, saying, look what you are worth to us. It's, it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. And so, worship a response to God for who he is and what he's done. Why is the cross worship? Because Jesus said it is. <laughs> That's the short answer. Jesus, very clear, said it was. The writers of the New Testament that followed the Gospels, they all agree that this is, this is the ultimate act of worship. And so the third thing, how does it shape our, our worship? Well, we're invited, we're invited into his life with him. We're invited into a life that is worshiping all the time in all these different ways. And so right this time of year, the Luke 9.23 is the, is the scripture that, that comes to mind that we use a lot just to, to refocus us on what following Jesus is about. Jesus invites us, he says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, follow me. This is an invitation into a lifestyle of worshiping. Not a lifestyle of singing all the time. A lifestyle of everything that we do being an expression of worth to the Lord. Like everything, everything. So it shapes our worship because we're following Him and learning how, what it means to like deny ourselves. During Lent, you're, you, know, you, you fast, you abstain from things. You're, you're saying no to desires that you have in an effort to, to identify with Jesus in a very unique way. Of saying, you know, it's not about me and what I want, it's about what He wants. 
He says, take up your cross daily. It's this, this obedience, whatever, whatever the cost. For him, it meant crucifixion. For you and I, it probably will not mean crucifixion. But it will certainly come with cost and sacrifice and uh, opportunity there to express how valuable God is to us. Sometimes it's in our personal disciplines, and sometimes it's in the, the rhythms of church life or family life or social stuff and work, and all these kind of things pushed together, and it's this idea of saying, God, whatever, whatever obedience looks like for me today, I'm, I'm on board because you are worth it. Like, you're worth this much. They have Jesus on the cross saying, God, you're worth this much. And we're taking the communion elements, we're saying, God, you're worth this much. In our daily lives, we're saying, God, you're worth this much to me. You're worth time in the Word and prayer and loving people. And you're worth all these things to us. You're invited into that. Self-denial, obedience no matter what it costs. And then following Him, learning, imitating, life in the yoke. All those things we talk about all the time. Why? Because He's worth it. These are all expressions of worth. So you went to Romans 12, and you might have wondered if we were ever going to get there. And we are. Here's one that, that maybe is familiar to you. It's simple, but it's deep. The way that Paul puts it, and he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, your spiritual act of worship, there are times when the church gathers and we sing or we pray or we study the word. Like Those are acts of worship. And there are times when you're out and you're serving people and you're loving people and you're doing those things and those are acts of worship. But all of this is undergirded by this idea of like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to be the kind of sacrifice that is not slaughtered on a slab in a temple somewhere. I'm the kind of sacrifice that is walking around. I'm alive, I'm living, I'm breathing. I heard someone say one time that the, the problem about a living sacrifice is they want to keep crawling off the altar. <laughs> and I can understand that. Because there are times when you're like, you, you're there, like, let, I know this is an altar, let's pretend that this is an altar, and you're like, you're going to lay down on there, and you're like, God, whatever you want, whatever you want, you're worth it, worth it, worth it, worth it. And like a Tuesday afternoon, you're like, uh, <laughs> slide off of here. Is he not worth it on a Tuesday afternoon? Of course he's still worth it. But maybe you aren't where you need to be. And so Paul is saying, look, I'm appealing to you based on the mercies of God, based on the gospel, based on the cross, based on what we've been singing about, based on what we're about to partake of together in communion, based on all these things. He's like, I'm appealing to you. I'm begging of you. Please like, realize what's going on here and present your body as a sacrifice that's alive. And notice in the verse, he doesn't just say, like as living sacrifice, he says you're holy and you're acceptable. Don't get it in your head that God's like disapproving of you in some sort of weird way. It's not how he works. He's saying you present your body to him and you, your life to him and you say, God, whatever you want from me, I'm going to be a sacrifice. I'm gonna, I may be like going about my life, going to work or going to Walmart or going to school or going to do my thing, but I'm walking around as a sacrifice that's just as willing to do whatever you want me to do as I were if I were laying on that altar. But you haven't called us to lay on an altar. You've called us to go and live. Call us to live a life that's showing your worth and your value all the time. 
And so the cross as a worship shapes our worship, not only our time together as a church, but it shapes the pattern of our lives that we are living this lifestyle of constantly showing God what he's worth to us. By denying ourselves and taking up our cross daily and following him, by presenting us ourselves as a living sacrifice, by beginning every day coming before the Lord and saying, God, whatever you want today. Today is not my day, today is your day. My life is not my life, my life is your life. And just like Jesus was willing to say, God, this is what you're worth to me, that we are living a life that's constantly saying, God, this is what you're worth to me. You're worth it. It may be difficult, it may be painful, but for the joy set before me, I'm going to endure whatever today brings. And maybe at the end of most days, you're like, man, that was pretty awesome. Or maybe other days, you're like, man, that cost was high today. But there'll never come a day where you'll say, you know what, it wasn't worth it. That's what Jesus proves to us. There will never come a day, never come a moment, never come anything where we'll say, you know what, God just really wasn't worth that. And so he invites us into that life together. And so here's what the next few moments will look like for us. We're going we're gonna to sing because um, that's a part of worship, right? And we're going to sing about this sacrifice. We're going to sing about God's love for us, about Jesus' love for the Father, about exactly what that means. And so the, the first song we're going to do is we're just going like, to put it to you like this. If, let's say that we're all on this journey together and we're like, all right, uh, we have like one of us who's like some sort of like Sherpa that's going to be like, hey, I'm going to lead us to the Grand Canyon Overlook. We're all going together. And we get down to the Overlook and we just kind of spend a few minutes like in awe of things. That'll be the first kind of song. We're just, we're going to sing it, but we're just going to kind of be in awe. We're just going to, and then we're going to put some legs to it. And you can, you can keep singing. You can come and kneel and pray. Uh, two of our elders are going to be here serving communion, if you would like to take communion. And this is the kind where you break off the bread, and you dip it in the juice, and you take it right there. Um, and so just kind of know that that's how that's going to work. So you can take communion, you can sing, you can pray. You can, this is a time where we're going to respond, and you need, the, you need to let the response be what you want the response to be. What's going on in here? Not a reaction, a response. And so we're just going to sing a song. And then we're going to respond differently in the second song, and then maybe the third song, and we'll kind of see what happens. Okay? So we're going to join Jesus in responding to who God is and what he's done. All right? So let's stand together as the band comes back.